you take your Bible with me this morning, if you'll open to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 9 is where we're reading. If you're just joining us for the first time today, you're watching us online today. Uh, we are studying through the book of 1 Corinthians. This is the seventh message out of the first uh, two and a half or three chapters. And there's a lot here for us to talk about and a lot here for us to cover. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Paulus, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers, servants, through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor, for we are God's fellow workers. And notice the position of the word God, the name God. It's always at the beginning. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray now in these next few minutes as we turn our attention to worshiping you through the reading and the hearing of your word. I pray, Lord, that our hearts will be open. On this Lord's Day morning, will you speak to us, Father, and cause us to hear your voice through your word today. Lord, I'm insignificant in and of myself. I am nothing more than a servant. This is about you. And I pray, Lord, that we will see you in this service today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You probably have done what I have done at one time or another, gone out into your yard and saw those beautiful, glorious, and wonderful dandelions growing. And you thought to yourself, you know, the best thing for me to do to get rid of those is just to go pick those dandelions. And so maybe you had a few that were out in the yard and you ran the lawnmower over them or you went out and you pulled them up by hand and Little did you know that in the process you were spreading the seeds that were at the top of that dandelion all over the rest of your yard, and you really weren't doing yourself a whole lot of good because you were pulling the, the fruit, you were pulling the top off of the root, which was the deeper problem. And unless you dealt with the deeper problem, those dandelions just keep coming back. Have you found that to be true? They just keep coming back over and over again. The Apostle Paul comes in the third chapter of 1 Corinthians, and he says, I want to deal with what is the root problem here. I want you to understand the root problem that I'm talking about. I'm not going to just go along and pick off the fruit and the weeds that are on the top of the surface. I want you to be able to stop and understand what is the real root of what's going on. And in the process, he introduces us to three distinct identifications, three distinct 
identifications. Now, the first two, you've got to back up a couple of verses in the chapter 2 to see them. We, we learned a little bit about them last week. We're going to see more about them this week. The first one's in verse 14 of chapter 2, and he's called the natural man. It says, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. So the, the very first distinction, the f- very first category is the category of the natural man. I'll describe him to you in just a few minutes. If you go on into verse 15 and then into chapter 3, verse 1, you realize that there's a second category, and that second category is the spiritual man. He says in verse 15 of chapter 2, but he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. And you get down to chapter 3, verse 1, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people. So there's the spiritual man. But then there's a third category that's given to us here. Actually, some will say there's a a fourth category. We're just going to consider these three. This this third category is found, it's mentioned four times. Once at the end of verse three, uh, twice in verse, uh, excuse me, at the end of verse one, twice in verse three, and again in verse four. But just look at verse three. For you are still, here's the third category, carnal. For there are envy, strife, divisions among you. Are you not carnal? In behaving like mere men. For when one says, I'm of Paul, another, I'm of Paulus, are you not carnal? And so he identifies three categories of people. Now, the root problem is the carnal one. You'll see that in a moment. But I want you to introduce, be introduced to the natural man, the spiritual man, and the carnal man. Do you know the distinction between those three categories? Everybody in this room, everybody watching this service, everybody in this world fits into one of those three categories. So let's talk about it just for a moment. The natural man. The natural man is the unbeliever. The natural man is the the man who is not a Christian. When I say man, I'm using it in the sense, uh, the general sense of mankind. It could be man or woman. But the natural man is the unregenerate one. It's the unconverted one. It's the one who doesn't know Christ as Savior. It's the one who doesn't have the Spirit of God dwelling in him. It's the the one who's living for this world, living by the ideals of this world, living by the philosophy of this world, living for the things of this world, for the materialism of this world. Everything about them is characterized by this world. They're taken up with the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. That's all they have. They have nothing else. They have nothing in them. They are spiritually dead. Ephesians chapter 2 says that they are spiritually dead and they have not been awakened. They have not been brought to life by by the power of the Spirit of God. They are the natural man. It's, it's no wonder that they love the things of this world. It's no wonder that they don't see the evils or the sinfulness or the failings or the faults or the heartaches of this world. It's no wonder that they have little hope or almost no hope at all. It's no wonder that they're not living for eternity or eternal things, that they're only living for this world and what they can get out of this world. I mean, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. So we got to live it up. We've got to get the most out of this life we can possibly get. We've got to have all, you know, have all the gusto we can get in this life. And that's, that's how they live their whole lives. It's about climbing the ladder of success. It's about having bigger houses and nicer cars. And it's about having more properties and having portfolios, financial portfolios that are impressive. 
It's about building big companies and big corporations. And in and of themselves, those things aren't necessarily bad, but that's all they have. They don't have anything else. Beyond this life, they have no hope. Spiritually, they're dead. They have no relationship to God. They have no indwelling presence of the Spirit of God. They have no sense of a connection to God whatsoever. Can I just tell you that all of those people that you know that don't know Jesus Christ fit in that category. They are the natural man. That They may be living their best life now, but they sure aren't thinking about the life that is yet to come. They're not thinking about eternity and what that means. They're not living for the reality that all of us get out of this world the same way, that the mortality rate is 100%. And that we all die, and if you're not prepared for that event, then what you find on the other side is to be separated from God forever. They're not even thinking about that. They're not even pondering that. They look at you this morning, and they see you at a church service, and they think to themselves, what in the world? I mean, Sunday morning. They could have slept in. They had an extra hour of sleep on top of it. They could have slept in. They could be doing some things they want to do. It's so warm outside. I mean, they, they could be fixing breakfast outside. I mean, they're over an open fire, you know, let's fix the eggs and the bacon over an open fire. Let's just have a big day today. I mean, we've got to live. We've got to have as much fun as we can. We've got to get all the gusto in life we can get. That's how they live. And we as believers understand that because we were there at one point. We used to live that way, right? That used to be the goal and the ambition of our life, just to make the best of this life we could possibly make of it. We rarely ever thought about eternity. Most of us never thought about eternity. We never thought about the significance of singing praises together with the people of God to give adoration to the Father. We never thought about coming and listening to somebody take the Bible and open it and explain it to us and apply it to our lives. We never thought about uh, having a family that's not our immediate family, a Christian family. It's not necessarily our blood relatives, but they are the family of God. We never thought about having any of that. Our family was down at the Little Leagues, and our family was in the corporation world, and uh, the world of corporations, and our family uh, was in the neighborhood, and our family, and we had family, but we weren't thinking about a family in the church. We had no spiritual emphasis or concern whatsoever. That's the natural man. He lives for the natural world. Dr. Adrian Rogers was one of my favorite preachers to hear. You still can hear him on the radio. Uh, obviously, he's not making those tapes, those recordings. It's a little bit long distance from heaven to make those. But he pastored the Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. He was twice elected to be the uh, president of the Southern Baptist Convention. It was a hu huge church. Mary and I have been there a couple of times uh, to services and I was reading one of Dr. Rogers' sermons as I was preparing for today, and he talks about his dog. And I think you'll understand if I can just put this analogy, let him put this analogy before you. Dr. Rogers says, I've got a dog. Do you know what my dog is satisfied with? He's comfortable if he's got something to eat, a nice warm place to sleep, somebody to, somebody to pet him, and then a sense of achievement. You know, kill a squirrel, catch a cat, do something like that. He continues. And you know, he doesn't really mind dying. He never thinks of it because he really doesn't know what living is. He just lives a dog's life. And that's the way the natural man is, Dr. Rogers says. 
I mean, he is just living for the same things that an animal lives for. Self-gratification, self-propagation, and self-preservation. He is a natural man, Dr. Rogers says, and he does what comes naturally. He has no apprehension of spiritual things. He has no comprehension of spiritual things. And listen to these three last phrases. He is born into the natural world. He is blind to the spiritual world. And he is bound to the material world. And that's the natural man. Well, my friends, listen to me this morning. If you fall in that category and you, ne- you rarely ever think about, if ever think about spiritual things, I don't know what brought you here today, but I am so glad you came. And maybe you have questions that you don't have answered yet, but let me tell you something. You will never understand all of the answers to those questions until you have first come to receive Christ as your Savior. Until you first understand that God loves you and he sent the very best of heaven for you, his own son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus made it possible for you to become a child of the living God, to have your sins forgiven, to have eternal hope beyond this life, and to have purpose and meaning and direction in this life. You you won't understand the answers to some of those questions. But can I tell you that Jesus wants to save you this morning? If you're watching us, Jesus wants to save you this morning. He wants to make you his child, and it happens by simply putting your faith in Christ for eternal life. And instantaneously, just as quickly as you believe on Jesus, you leave being a natural man. And all of us can find a place, many of us, I should say, can find a place in our lives where we can go back to and we can say, that's where my spiritual life began. I was 16 on a Sunday, on a, on a Wednesday evening, December the 26th, 1973, sitting in a youth service the day after, uh, the day after Christmas on that Sunday night, listening to my youth pastor preach the gospel. And that night I opened my heart and put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm far, far, far from perfect. Just ask the people around me. No, no second thought, don't ask the people around me. I'm far, far, far from perfect, per- perfect, but I want to tell you what I am. I'm forgiven. And I'm a child of the living God. And when I close my eyes in death, I'm going to open them in the presence of Jesus Christ. And I live with that sense of assurance. I live with that sense of peace. I live with that sense of confidence. It's not that I want to die. I want to live here as long as I can. I want to be a part of my children and my grandchildren's lives. I have three grandchildren from 17 to 8 or 9. I want to live in my grandchildren's lives. I want to be here to see them do things and accomplish things in life. But mind you, when you walk past my casket and you see my body, I'm not there. I moved to heaven. And I'm in the presence of the Savior. Can you say that? If you can't say that, you're qualified and categorized as the natural man. The only thing you're living for is this world, what this world has to offer. Get it all as much as you can right now. Live for this world. There's not really much else beyond this. Eat, drink, and be merry, they say. The second category that's found here is the spiritual man. We saw him in verse 15 of chapter 2 and again in chapter 3, verse 1, the spiritual man. Who is the spiritual man? 
The spiritual man is the person who has received Christ as his Savior. The spiritual man is the one who's been born again. Remember when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus? And Nicodemus wanted to know about how to be right with God and how to get into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says, you have to be born again, literally meaning born from above. And Nicodemus was confused. This religious leader of the Jews was totally and completely confused. Born again? How can I get into my mother's womb and be born a second time? And Jesus said, I'm not talking about physical birth. I'm talking about a spiritual birth. That's what happens when you put your faith in Jesus as your Savior. In that instant, in that moment, you're born from above. You are born again. You realize that everybody who, die, who has been born once dies twice. And everybody who's been born twice dies once. If you've had one physical birth and that's all, no new birth, then you will not only die physically, you will die eternally. But if you've been born twice, you've been born physically and spiritually, you only die once. That's physically. And the person who is the spiritual man is the person who's come to Jesus Christ and said, Jesus, you are my only hope. And I put my faith in you for the gift of eternal life. It's not the magic of the words you say. It's the attitude of your heart to believe. Sometimes I'm afraid we've caused people to think that they ought to have faith in the prayer they prayed. It's not the prayer you prayed. It's the Savior to whom you prayed. And you put your faith in Jesus and you trusted in Jesus as your Savior. And instantaneously, the Spirit of God took up residence in your life. Isn't that great news? Now he is the earnest, the Bible calls him. He is the guarantee. His presence in your life secures you until you see God face to face. You see his son face to face. And now you're living your life for a different purpose and for a different meaning. You're a spiritual man. The Holy Spirit lives within you. Suddenly the Bible that seemed to be a closed book when you read across it, now you're beginning to read things that make sense to you. Some of those questions that you couldn't answer and you weren't satisfied with the answer that people gave to you, now that you're a person of faith, you begin to understand by faith some of the things that you couldn't understand before. You begin to see things differently and you have a hope and you have a peace, and you have a confidence, and you have an assurance, and you have a certainty because you're now a child of the living God. You're a spiritual man. Every one of you who've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're a spiritual man, spiritual man or woman. You've become spiritual. You've been made alive. You that were dead have been made alive. You that were born once have now been born twice. You've been made the child of the living God. You've been adopted into the family of God. That's a great concept. You've been given all the rights and the privileges to be called a child of the living God. That's what it means to be a spiritual man. But then there's that third category. The natural man is the unbeliever. The spiritual man is the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. But here was the problem. Here was the root problem of what was going on in the, in the city of Corinth and in the church in Corinth. It is that the church was made up of people who should have been spiritual in the way they conducted their lives, but they were conducting themselves in the spirit of carnality. They were being carnal. Mind you, when he talks about a spiritual man here, he's not talking about people that are unsaved. Just look back to chapter 1 for a moment and look at verse 2, chapter 1, verse 2. 
Notice what he says. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are, here it is, sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Now, they're called to be spiritual, but they're not being spiritual. If you look down, uh, he calls them brethren a little bit later in chapter 1. If you look over chapter 2. In, in verse 1, he calls them brethren again. You get to chapter 3. He opens chapter 3, verse 1. He says, and I, brethren. He's talking to believers, people who are spiritual. The Spirit of God lives in them. They have peace with God. They know Christ is their Savior. They have the assurance of a home in heaven. They have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. But they're not living like it. They're living like those who are carnal. They're living like those who are devoid of the Spirit of God. In, in this particular passage, he compares them to babies. Now, babies are pretty when they're babies. But that 40-year-old still living at your house that you're still baby, babying, eh, that ain't so pretty, right? And that's what he's talking about. You should have been growing up. You should have been maturing. You, you should have become a, a, an adult in your spiritual life, but you're still like babies because you're carnal. You're acting like unsaved people. You're behaving in a way that demonstrates that you have more in common with the unsaved than you do with the saved. Your attitudes and your actions and your characteristics and the way you carry yourself and the, the things that you say, the language that you use, the places that you go, the associations that you have, it's, it's more characteristic of those that don't know Christ than it is characteristics of those who do know Christ. Here's the root of the problem, Corinthians. You, you are carnal you're living in, in exactly the same way that those that are natural are living, by the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. And here's what's so highly ironic about this. The Corinthian church thought of themselves as being super spiritual people. And yet Paul Cousins says that's like, that's like the flower on top of that, that weed and we've gone along long enough and just pulled it off thinking we've dealt with the problem. But the real problem is, is you're spiritual, but you're not living like a spiritual man. You're living like a carnal man, and your life looks more like the natural man than it does the spiritual man. And if you don't think that's true, just turn with me over for a moment. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Let me show you some of this carnality. Chapter 5, verse 1, he says, it is, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife, his stepmother. He's sleeping with his stepmother. And you know what the church at Corinth was doing? Zilch. Nothing. Nada. They weren't disciplining this man. They weren't correcting this man. They were letting it go on. If you look over at chapter 6, not only did they have that, that uh, incestuous relationship happening, in chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? You know what they were doing? They're suing each other over petty things. He goes on to say, Can't you Christians sit down? As Christians sit down and work this thing out so that you don't have to act like the unbelieving world where you have to go before a judge, an unbelieving judge, and, and, and portray yourself as people that can't get along with each other? 
When you get over to chapter 7, notice chapter 7, verse 1. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Now he's gone beyond incestuous relationships to various kinds of immoral relationships. As a matter of fact, they were just easily and passively divorcing one another. I don't think I want to live with you anymore. And on they went. You get to chapter 8. They're using their liberties to eat meat that had been offered to idols because it was less expensive and sometimes more tasty. They were using their liberties to eat that meat, but in the process, they were causing other younger believers to stumble. What were they doing? They were acting in a fashion that demonstrated their carnality. You're living for yourself. You're not showing any deference for other people. You're not showing any deference for the things of God or the ways of God. You're not showing any concern for the people of God. You're just living for yourself. It's all about self-propagation. It's all about self-aggrandizement. It's all about me. It's about me. It's all about me. When you get over to uh, chapter uh, 11, uh, you start talking about the, the Lord's Supper, and they were having the Lord's Supper. And you know what they did? That they would have a love feast prior, and they would bring food. Everybody that had food to bring, they would bring food. Then the poor, poor people of the church would have something to eat as well, but they weren't letting the poor go first, and they weren't leaving anything for them. Now, that's pretty carnal, wouldn't you agree? Are you all with me? Uh, that's pretty carnal. And you get into chapters 12, 13, and 14. They're arguing over who has the best spiritual gift. I got the best spiritual gift. Everybody should want my gift. I mean, I am the gifted one in the church. When you get to chapter 15, they apparently had some that were denying the resurrection of Jesus. And when you get to chapter 16, they made a promise to give an offering that they hadn't kept. Let me ask you, what kind of a church was the Corinthian church? Were they a natural church? No, no. Were they a spiritual church? No, no, no. What were they? They were a carnal church. They were living according to their base nature rather than living according to the Spirit of God and according to the Word of God, seeking to distinguish themselves as the people of God. They were looking more like the people of the world that didn't know Jesus than they did the people of God that did know Jesus. There's carnal Christians everywhere. A carnal Christian will buy a $60,000 car but get upset when the preacher talks about giving money to do gospel ministry. The carnal Christian will get up at 5 a.m. to go deer hunting and fishing, but 9 a.m. is too early for Sunday school or for church. The carnal Christian will get worked up if his child doesn't make the team or get enough playing time, but never, ever notices that his child doesn't have a heart for God. Parents, listen to me. You're discipling your children every single day of your life. You might not recognize that what, that's what you're doing, but every single day of your life, you're discipling your children. You're teaching them what's most important in life. And what you prioritize and what you emphasize is what your children are learning. They are to prioritize and to emphasize. I can see now I'm not going to get through this whole message today. So you're going to have to come back to hear it all. 
When I was a boy, I played five years of Little League Baseball. I wasn't very good, but I played five years of Little League Baseball. It was easier for me to hit a, a ball that was sitting on a tee than it was to hit a ball that was hurled at me <laughs> by somebody on a mound. But at the Tony Elementary School, they had a playground. And I say a playground. This was a huge field. One corner of it was a baseball diamond with a backstop. And we had about 20 or 25 baseballs. They were ragged. The, the, uh, the strings were coming out of some of them. They were falling apart, but they were good enough for batting practice. And my daddy took me up there to help me learn to hit the ball, as a, to be able to learn to hit the ball that was thrown at me. Why do they have to throw it at you? You know? You know, you got to get back on your right foot. Got to put your weight. You got to be ready to push off. You got to step into the ball. You don't want to step away from the ball. I don't know how many times he told me that. You got to keep your head in. You can't, you can't pull away. You got to keep your head in. You got to watch the ball. And he threw ball after ball, and I'd hit a few of them, and we'd go pick them up. The others we'd pick up at the backstop, put them back into that bucket. He'd go back to the, he'd go back to the mound. What was he doing? He was discipling me. He was discipling me. You do that with your children as a football player. You show him, hey, you got to take that football. You got to put it in your hand. You got to tuck it here. You got to make sure that you get it where they can't strip it from your arm. And when you're running down the field and the players that are t coming after you on the other side, you got to make sure to swip, switch arms to, to put it as far away from them as you can. What are you doing? You're discipling your kids, you're teaching them something about football. Can I just tell you that it takes that same kind of emphasis? It might be the arts. It might, be in, it might be in academics. It might be in music. It might be in any number of ways. I remember trying to teach my son to play basketball. Now, imagine me playing basketball. And I put a chair out here and a chair out there and a chair out there. And I said, now you've got to dribble around those chairs. You gotta, as, those, as if those are players and I'm going to be the last one. You've got to get by me and make the layup. <laughs> that was no big deal. What are you doing? You're discipling your kids. Listen to what Deuteronomy 6 says. You talk about the Lord when you get up in the morning. You talk about the Lord throughout the entirety of the day. You talk about the Lord when you go to bed at night. But the carnal dad, the carnal mom, never even pays attention to the heart of their children as it relates to spiritual things. They rarely ever talk to their children about spiritual things. They rarely ever talk about spiritual things between the husband and the wife. They rarely even listen to the spiritual things that are talked about at the church. You understand that kids get excited about different things than adults, and kids get upset about different things than adults. And in a similar way, carnal Christians get excited and upset about different things than mature believers. You get that? Sometimes we look more like the natural man than we do the spiritual man. Our lives are more characterized as living according to our fleshliness, the pursuits of this world, than the pursuit of God. And the only way to overcome that is to get serious about your faith. Please hear me. You got to get serious about your faith. You got to get serious about living for God. Daddies, you got to get serious about living for God before your children. And mamas, you got to get serious about your faith before your kids. Grandmom and granddad, you got to get serious about living your faith out before your family. 
We had a lady that um, all pre-COVID several years ago, she came and she wanted to know what was going on here. You know, why are so many people coming over to this church? And why is the parking lot always full? And, you know, why are they always doing this, that, and the other? She came out of a, a church. She came from a church that was a liberal church. I mean, they rarely ever opened the Bible. And when they opened it, they referred to it, but then they left it and walked away from it. They went through the ceremony and they went through the rituals, but she came for several Sundays to see what was going. Well, one day I saw her out in another place and I thanked her. Thank you for coming. I'm, I'm glad you've been coming. And I'll never forget the words she said to me. Are you listening? She said, you take this stuff seriously, don't you? <laughs> now, <laughs> I'm not good at comebacks. But after I went home and I thought about it, there was a lot of comebacks I wish I had given. What do you mean I take this stuff seriously? And you don't? You don't take it seriously? Oh, listen, that means there's a carnality. You may be a believer in Jesus. You may have a home reserved for you in heaven. You may be indwelt by the Spirit of God and be grieving him or quenching him. You may be hearing spiritual things, but they're going in one ear and out the other. They're not parking in your heart and learning to, to, to grow you and develop you. You're going through some of the motions of religiosity, but you don't, you're not serious about it. I watch it all the time. I see it all the time. People say, you're just too serious about Christianity. You're, you're too serious about the Bible. You're too serious about spirituality. You're too serious about the church. Really? Really? I mean, did you watch Tennessee and Georgia yesterday? Just so you know, Georgia won. People in the stands with no shirt on and their chest all painted up. Some of them wearing helmets and masks. Did you watch the World Series last night? I mean, they're standing in the stands and they're cheering and they're shouting and they're screaming. Nothing wrong with that. But then we come to church and it's like, can we get this over with? Can we get this, can we get this done? And you're discipling your kids. You go home and you say, well, you know, yeah, he's, he's, he's 65 or almost 65. and He's, he's a little outdated, honey. We'll, we'll start looking for a younger preacher. Honey, you don't want a younger preacher, do you? Start looking for a younger preacher. Somebody's got a little, a little, little more hips. i got plenty of hips. <laughs> somebody that's a little more hip. Somebody that's a little more cool. I mean, somebody that can identify with me. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. Personally, I want a pastor that's got some maturity and some age and some learning and understanding and some experience and knows some things I don't know because he's been there and done that and learned the lessons from it, right? That's what I want. You go home, you have roast preacher on the way home. You're discipling your kids. You're teaching your kids all the time. When you get up in the morning, when you go through the day, when you go to bed at night, is all you talk about football or golf or fishing or the latest accomplishments or being a, an honor roll student? or Is that all you're concerned about? Or are you talking to them in the morning and through the day and at night about the Lord and the things of the Lord? I would not be standing here today. I don't believe 
had my mom and my daddy not kept me focused through the course of my life growing up on spiritual things. I would not have been there on that December the 26th, 1973 to have received Christ as my Savior. The carnal man. And that's what's wrong with this church. This church is not a natural body. This is a, this is a spiritual body, but they're acting more like the natural body than the spiritual body. Can I just give you five things real quickly? Carnal Christians are immature in spiritual matters. In verse 1, he compares them to babes in Christ. Now, some of you are thinking, yeah, I'd like to be a babe. I'd like to be a babe in Christ. Yeah. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about this particular word is used to somebody that's young, younger than seven years of age. They're limited in language development. They're completely dependent on their parents for survival, even to the child who is nursing at his or her mother's breast. Metaphorically, it speaks of somebody who's simple-minded and immature and childish. Carnal Christians are immature in spiritual matters. There was a humorous card that read, you're only young once, but you can be immature forever. And there's a whole lot of Christians that have taken that to heart. So much so that if you and I, I mean, we live in a world where the average Christian is so subnormal that if one of them becomes normal, they look abnormal. Do you get that? When they start taking their Christianity seriously, and there's nothing wrong with a baby being a baby. You remember when your babies were born? You remember how you loved to hold them and cuddle them? Do you know what a baby does? A baby's self-focused and the baby's self-centered, right? The baby is all about himself or herself. That's a carnal Christian. And consequently, they're immature. Carnal Christians are immature in spiritual matters. Number two, carnal Christians are regularly involved in personal conflict. They're regularly involved in personal conflict. Look at verse 4. For when one says, I am of Paul and another of Apollos, are you not carnal? Back up to verse 3. For you are still carnal, for, the, for there are envy, there is envy and strife and divisions among you. Carnal Christians are always, they're always in some kind of a conflict. When you think about a baby, what comes to your mind? A selfless, self-sacrificing individual? Not at all. When babies come into your life, it's all about the baby, Right? At 2 in the morning, it's, it, the baby cries out, feed me. At 30 minutes later, they cry out again, change me. A few minutes later, they cry out again, rock me, hold me. Because it's all about me when you're a baby. But you understand that, mothers, it doesn't matter how tired you are. It doesn't matter how tired you are. That baby says, this is all about me. Not about you. I don't care if you're tired or not. This is about me. You come take care of me. And that's really cute when they're little babies, but that's not so cute when they become teenagers, when they become adults. They'll let you know quickly, carnal Christians will let you know quickly that life is all about them. It's all about me. They're very selfish. And that kind of selfishness inevitably leads to conflict. You inevitably find yourself in conflict with others others. There was a lot of jealousy in Corinth. There's a lot of strife. There were a lot of quarrels and fights that were going on in the church. What's the deal? 
Why are you fighting with each other? I mean, these are good men, Paul and Apollos and Cephas. That's, that's Peter. These are good men. Why are you fighting about these men? Because they're carnal. In 2015, Tom Rader, who is a church consultant, he helps churches uh, to get over the hump, to get moving, to become evangelistic and to move forward in their ministries and does a great work. But in 2015, Tom Rader wrote an article listing some of the crazy things churches have argued over. For instance, one church had a protracted meeting about whether the music minister should be required to wear shoes when he leads the service. Another had a 45-minute argument over what kind of filing cabinet to buy. Another had a fight over, now listen, which picture of Jesus should be hung in the lobby. I'm sure Jesus was pleased with that one. Another had a dispute over the fact that someone bought cram juice for the Lord's Supper rather than grape juice. Another had a disagreement over whether, they, whether or not they were to sing happy birthday each week when they gathered. And on and on the list goes. I've been a pastor a long time. Believe me, I can tell you, you can see carnality coming at you. Because they get red-faced and they get upset and they get angered about stuff that doesn't matter. Stuff that the leadership has prayed about and worked over and sought God's face about and knows is God's will, but they are determined, I'm going to be the one person who stops it from going forward. That's carnality. That's more like the natural man than the spiritual man. That's living and looking like the natural man rather than the spiritual man. I'm going to just make this the last passage. Just turn with me to Galatians. Look over to Galatians. We'll come back to this next week. Look over to Galatians. Listen to what he says. I want you to notice something important. Verse 16 of chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit. That is, you're indwelt by the Spirit of God. Live in surrender to the Spirit of God. Walk by the power of the Spirit of God. That's what he's talking about. And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You say, the lust of the flesh? Yeah, that's that carnality. That's that part of you that looks more like the natural man than the spiritual man. He goes on, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. In other words, they're at war. This spirit of God that lives in you is at conflict with your carnal spirit. It's fighting against you. But if you're led by the spirit, verse 18, you're not under the law. Now listen, now the works of the flesh. You want to see carnality? The works of the flesh are evident which are, in the first four, are all about morality. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness. Then he moves into these addictions and into this religiosity, idolatry and, uh, and sorcery. Sorcery comes from the word pharmakia. There's drugs involved. And then he lists eight things that are all about contention, all about division, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, and envy. All of those are about conflict and division. And I suppose murders could be, depending on what motivates the murder. Murders and drunkenness and revelries. You know what revelries is? 
It's partying. I'm looking for a party every day of the week. Revelries, that's carnality and the like. He says, that's just a list. Do you realize there's 17 things that are listed there? And of the 17, eight of them have to deal with, they have to deal with conflict. They have to deal with conflict. We look more like the natural man than we do the spiritual man. We're living according to our base nature rather than according to the Spirit of God who indwells us. We're following the ideals of the world rather than the truths of the Word of God. We're we're taking lightly the things of God and seriously the things of the world. And we're ignoring things that God says we ought to be teaching our children every single day so that our children, listen, listen, your kids can grow up and they they can win every award there is. They can be the smartest person in the world. And I hope they are. I hope they do. But it isn't going to matter if they die and they go to hell. And it isn't going to matter if they don't understand the spiritual realities of life and they don't take them seriously. It isn't going to matter. Because everything else they're going to leave behind when they go to When they go from this life, they're going to leave it behind. Let me ask you a question as I bring this to a close. Do you understand the distinction? The natural man is the unbelieving world. We don't expect much more out of them because they don't know anything else. The spiritual man, hopefully, are most you and I, most of you and I who know Christ and who are indwelt by the Spirit of God. But are we a carnal man? looking like and living like, talking like, being like, associating like, having the attitudes like the world around us? Or is there a distinctiveness that can be seen in our lives that is growing every single day? Because I'm taking my faith seriously, and I'm taking my Bible seriously, and I'm taking the church seriously. Listen, if you take the church seriously... If you know Christ is your Savior, the first thing you're going to do is get baptized. You're going to step forward and profess your faith in Jesus unashamedly and say, I identify with Jesus and with his church, and I'm not afraid or ashamed. You're going to get into your Bible. You're going to read it. You're going to have to sometimes say no to somebody who asks you to do something that you know God wouldn't have you to do. And it might, not, it might mean that they don't like you as much as they used to like you. But you got to do what God tells you to do before you do what somebody else tells you to do. Do you get what I'm saying?